Okay, so I'd like to go back to Yud-Tesamid Bey's nine lines from the bottom. We started the Brysa yesterday, but I wanted to uh, to clarify. The Brysa says like this. This is, I think, nine lines from the bottom. Tanur So what the, what the Gemara is going to say is, we said in the Mishnah, there's a concept when it comes to Edus of Pesha Asa Pesha Hitzer, which means that if witnesses come forward and say, that's our handwriting, so they authenticate a document, but they say, but we were children, or but we were ones, or but we were apostles, you accept it. You accept the whole testimony in, in one package. So now the, the Brysa is taking it a step further. What if it's not those witnesses that are, that are saying it? What if it's other witnesses? Meaning other witnesses are coming forward and authenticating um, someone else's signature. So let's say Reuben and Shimon signed the document, but then Reuben and Shimon died. So Levi and Yehuda come forward and say, oh, that's Reuben and Shimon's handwriting, but they were children, but they were onsen, but they were apostolators. We accept it. It's the same concept. It's just instead of them authenticating their document, it's other people authenticating their document. So the Raisa says like this, Shnayim chasumen al ashtar. You have two witnesses who signed the document to Mesa when they died. So obviously, if you want to authenticate it, you can't have them come in to testify because they're dead. So what you have to do is you either have have to have their documents that Besden has on record and they could uh, uh, compare signatures or easier is you have witnesses come forward who recognize their handwriting and say oh that was that's Reuven's signature that's Shimon's signature so Bo Shnaim and Ashok so two two people come from the market but Amru and they say we know that that is Reuven and Shimon's handwriting so they say the testimony so they say that that's their handwriting. Av obat anusim hayu. They were coerced to sign ketanim hayu. They were on the bar mitzvah. So they So they say in the same testimony pesha asar pesha hitter. They say the they say the positive and the negative in the same testimony. Harelu namana we accept them. Okay, but then the brayse says vim yesh edim shiksav However. If let's say there are other witnesses that already authenticated it, so you have Reuben and Shimon sign a document and then die. Levi and Yehuda come forward and say that's Reuben and Shimon's handwriting. Then two days later, Yisachar and Zavulin come and they say that's their handwriting, but so we don't accept it. Why? Because the 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 document is already authenticated. So the halach is miyeshet mikshav yod muzeh So if we already authenticated the document or we have Reuben and Shimon's handwriting on file, meaning, what does that mean? What does it mean they had it on file? Mishtar Shekar Lavir Vahuksuk Bebezdin. Reuben and Shimon had once signed a document in court and they went through the whole process that they weren't sure if it was authenticated and it was authenticated in court. So you had already on court a record. Reuben and Shimon's handwriting on a document that was authenticated, then the halach is Then they're not believed because they don't have Pesha Osar Pesha Hitter. Now that's what we did yesterday. Now the Gemara is going to start off with a pretty obvious question. And that is, let's say in the second case, right? The second case you have a document that was signed by Reuben and Shimon. And it was already authenticated by Levi and Yehuda. And then it says, Yisachar and Zavulin come out of nowhere and they say, hey, that document, it's Reuven and Shimon's handwriting, but they were coerced. So we said we don't believe them. But I, I don't understand. Reuven and Shimon signed this document. So this document seems to be legit. Then Yisachar and Zavulin come into court and say they were coerced. So we say we don't believe them. Why not? I'm not saying we should believe them 100%, but... Anytime you have a document, right, 
Let's say, let's say you have a situation where you have two witnesses says a loan took place, and then two other witnesses say, no, it didn't. You know what you do? You do nothing, because it's two against two, and it's a stalemate, right? If, if I have two witnesses that say that Menashe owes me money, and then I have two other witnesses that say, no, they don't, then it's two against two. The halacha is, you don't take money away from me, but I don't get the money, I don't get to keep, meaning it's status quo. So the question is, I understand that we're not going to believe you Yisachar and Zavon outright because it's Pesha Asa, Pesha Hitter. But there, these are two witnesses saying this document is false. So you have Reuben and Shimon who signed the document saying it's legit. But now you have Yisachar and Zavon signing the document saying it's not legit. And when you have two against two, the halacha is you do nothing, meaning the document cannot be used. It can't be used to hurt, it can't be used to help. The money stays in the chazaka of the owner that was in. So it says that we don't believe if Yisachar and Zavulin come forward and say that we that, that the document is false, we don't believe them, seemingly, and you could use this document, but why? Once Yisachar and Zavulin are questioning the validity of the document, then it's two against two, and the document should not be allowed to be used. So if let's say this document is a loan document, so it says that A owes B money, and B, and B can collect, he shouldn't be able to collect because you have Reuben and Shimon who says it's a legit document, but you have Yisachar and Zavulin say it's not a legit document. So why does the Brisa say that we don't believe Yisachar and Zavulin? I I understand you're not going to believe them 100%, but it should be two against two, and the halach is two against two. The document cannot be used. So that's the Gemara's question. The Gemara says, And we could use this document to like legit use it to collect money? Amai, treva treinenu. But I don't understand. You have Reuven and Shimon who signed it, so they say it's legit. But you have Yisachar and Zavulin who are now saying it's not legit. And two against two, the halacha is that we don't use the document. So why does it say that we don't believe Yisachar and Zavulin? We should believe them. So the Gemara says, okay, so that's the question. So Rav Sheshis gives a very interesting answer. Again, the kasha is, this is important to understand the kasha. Today's daf is not hard, it's important to understand the kasha. Reuven and Shimon signed this document and then they died. But and it was it was it was authenticated in court. So Reuven and Shimon saying that this loan took place, and this document could be used to collect the loan. And then Yisachar and Zavulin are coming and saying no, they were coerced. So we say we don't believe them. But why not? It's two against two. So the Gemara says Amr of Sheishes Tchilas Hazamehi. Okay, go to the next page. It's the beginning of Davchaf. So basically, it's like this: um, when you learn Maseches Makis, it talks about. Adam Zomen. Zomen is a specific concept where you disprove a testimony specifically by saying you were with us at the time. So let's say a loan, you know, you have two people that say a loan took place. If two people come forward and say the loan never took place, that's not Adam Zomen. Adam Zomen is saying, not that the loan, not we're not disproving the loan taking place, we're saying you were with us, so you couldn't have seen it. It's a specific type of uh, of of like destroying of witnesses. It's called Adam Zoman. And it has many of its own unique halachas. Our sugya, we're not dealing with Adam Zoman. What we're dealing with is called hachasha, which is just disagreeing. Reuben and Shimon sign the document, say that it took place. Yisachar and Zvon saying they were coerced. So there was no loan, or it's not legit. Not to say that Reuben and Shimon were not present. It's not Adam Zoman. It's called hachasha. It's just straight up two against two disagreement. Rav said, I'm sorry? Why can't? Why can't they uh, have backups? What do you mean? Well, because uh, uh, obviously uh, what, uh, there's one set of uh, of a- 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 them that are not telling the truth. Correct. 
So, uh, so, so they are. So once that is Adam Zolman anyway, right? No. So Adam Zolman is not is not a, is a specific form of disagreement. It's not where you're just disagreeing and you're saying that they're lying. It's saying that you're lying because you weren't present at the time. So our sugi is not Adam Zolman. Our sugi is just hachasha. It's just me against you, my word against your word. Just disagreement. Rav Shesha says as follows. There's a special halacha by Adam Zomen that Adam Zomen could only take place if everyone is present. Meaning, you have the witnesses, and then you have the witnesses who, who, are, who are proving them to be liars. All of them have to be present. Rav Shesha says, our sugya, which is hachasha, has the same halachas. Meaning, you could only disprove witnesses if they are present. In this case, because Reuben and Shimon died, Yisachar and Zavulin cannot disprove them. Why? Because we're learning it out from Adam Zoman. Just like Adam Zoman has to be present, so too all forms of witness disagreement, all parties have to be present. And because Reuben and Shimon died, then Yisachar and Zavulin cannot disprove them. That's the Gemara says. So we asked the question, which is again, Reuben and Shimon signed this document. It's authenticated, but then Yisachar Zvulun say, but they were coerced. So that we say we don't believe Yisachar Zvulun. We said why not? It's two against two. Two against two. You're not sure what to do. What you do is you do nothing. You don't use the document. You don't destroy the document. You don't use it. But why are you saying that you can use the document? Aren't Reuben and Shimon disproven? So the Gemara answers, it's a technicality. You cannot disprove them unless they are present. Now, the obvious problem with this is that that makes zero sense. If people are if people are not present, it should be more of a reason I could disprove them. Meaning, if they're present, then maybe they could agree, maybe they disagree. You're telling me that if they're not present, I can't disagree with them? The Gemara says, Amr of Nachman, if they were present, if let's say Reuben and Shimon were present when Yisach and Zvulun disagreed with them, they were disagreeing to their faces. Then we would we would accept the disagreement. We would say, okay, we're not going to do anything. It's two against two. Settle down. You know, stalemate. But you're saying, no, but because Reuben and Shimon are dead, we, we, don't, we can't accept any disagreement on them. He says, But now that Reuben and Shimon are dead, if they were present, maybe they would admit that what they did is wrong. So it's even more, it's even worse that they're away. They can't, they, we don't even know whether they would agree. And we're saying you're just going to completely just like, can't disagree because they're not present. It doesn't make any sense. Basically, it doesn't make any sense. Well, why is it that if they're present, then they could disagree with each other? But if they're away, you can't. It doesn't make any sense. If, if you're legitimately accepting that two witnesses can argue and two witnesses. What does it matter whether they're present or not? It doesn't make any sense. The Gemara says... Yeah, but because, like, if they were present, then we would accept it. But if they're, if they're not in, in presence of each other, then oh, you can't disagree. But why? Adarabba, we should accept them more when they're not present. Why? Because you could say to yourself, well, if they were here, maybe they would agree. Maybe they would talk uh, back down. The point is, it doesn't make any sense that you can't disagree when they're not in present with each other. So the Gemara says, you're right. Rav Nachman says, you know what? We talk, don't, we talk, can't use the document. Meaning when it says, we started the Brisa, Reuben and Shimon signed a document, it's authenticated, then Yisach and Zvon say they were coerced. So we said, we don't accept Yisach and Zvon. So we said, why not? It's two against two. The answer is, we do accept Yisach and Zvon's testimony. To an extent, 
that we won't use the document, but you don't have to destroy the document. Meaning, it's not like we accept Yisachar and Zavon 100%. See, if we accepted Yisachar and Zavon 100%, we would rip up the document. The answer is, we don't fully accept Yisachar and Zavon, but we accept them enough that we can't use the document. Meaning, it's two against two, and you do nothing. You don't use the document, you don't destroy the document. So when the Brisa says we don't accept Yisachar and Zavon, it doesn't mean we don't accept them at all. It means we don't accept them 100%. We're not sure which is exactly what we thought it should be. Two people testify one way, two people disagree with them. What do you do? It's a stalemate. You do nothing. You don't rip up the document. You don't use the document. You put the document away until you could clarify what happened. And that's what the halacha is. Hat meeting. So if you have two witnesses against two witnesses, so you don't use the document to collect the loan, but you don't rip up the document. What do you do? The document, the money stays by whoever the owner is at the time. What's the precedent for this? It's like the example of the, the house of Barshatia. Barshatia was a person who had temporary lapses of insanity. So this person, Barshatia, he was probably bipolar. right? So there were times where he was crazy, times where he was sane. And he sold the house. So the question is, is it a legitimate sale? So, so what happened was, Two witnesses came and said that when he sold it, he was he was mentally unstable, meaning he sold his house. Barshati sold his house to John. Two witnesses come forward and say, we were there when it was sold. Barshati was not in a, pl- uh, in a, in a sane place, and the sale is void. But... Two other witnesses came forward and said, "No, he was he was he was legit. He was he was clear when he sold it. It is a good sale." So you have two people say it's a good sale. Two people say it's not a good sale. What do you do? The property stays by Bershatia, meaning that he does not he keeps the property. The other person keeps the money until you could prove otherwise. Everything stays status quo. Okay, now. Now, meaning because we're not sure whether it was a legitimate sale, we're just going to keep the house by Barshati because it was always his house. Says the Gemara, this is only true. This is only true, meaning Barshati sold the house. We're not sure if it was a legit sale or not. So we're going to say, let's keep it by Barshati. He was the owner up till this point. We're just going to keep it by him. Because we're not sure who the new owner is, if it's him or it's the new owner. We're just going to keep it by Barshati. But says the Gemara, that's only true because Barshati was always the owner. Meaning, how did Barshati get the property? So if he got the property from his dad, it was inheritance. So he was always the owner. It was always in his family. So we'll keep it by him. But what if Barshati bought the house? The halacha is that if Barshati bought the house and then sold it, and it's questionable whether it was a legitimate sale, the sale the sale is, 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 is valid. Why? Because... If you're questioning whether the sale was legit, you should question whether he actually bought it originally. Says the Gemara, I'm reading Meaning, if you're legitimately going to say that he was deranged when he sold it, then maybe he was deranged when he bought it and it was never his. Meaning, whenever there's a question of whether a, a transaction took place, we always say, leave it by the owner. But that's only if you're confident he's the owner. If Barshatia became the owner through Barshatia purchasing, so then, the same way you're questioning whether he was able to sell the property, you should question whether he was able to buy the property. So therefore, because we're not sure, we're just going to say that the sale is valid. If he owned the property through inheritance, so it was his 
without him having to do anything, it's for sure his, then we'll say, we're not sure whether it's a legitimate sale and he holds on to it. But if he bought it, then the same way we're questioning whether he was able to sell it, we should question whether he was able to, bought it, to buy it. And therefore, if we're going to say the same way he, the same way he wasn't mentally stable when he bought it, he wasn't mentally stable when he sold it, so it was never his. And therefore, the purchaser gets to hold on to it. Okay. Now, the Gemara says, Amr as I mentioned, there's a concept called Edom Zoyman, which is a form of, of of disproving Edom by specifically saying they were not present at the time of the uh, the test of the uh, of what they're testifying about. So Edom Zoyman would be like some they say someone killed somebody. So if they say uh, you know that never happened because um, the 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 victim wasn't present at the time or the or the or the the murderer couldn't have done it because the gun doesn't match his prince whatever that's not adam zoman adam zoman is saying how could you say a killed b uh in queens at seven o'clock in the morning when you weren't in queens at seven o'clock in the morning that's called adam zoman so the halacha is you could only disprove witnesses if everyone is present meaning the witnesses have to be present and the disprovers have to be present but you could contradict the testimony, which is all other forms of disagreeing, can be done not in the presence of witnesses. And if you perform Edom Zoyman, meaning you do the process of Zoyman, you say, how could you testify where if you weren't present? If you do that not in the presence of those witnesses, it's not Edom Zoyman, it doesn't have the special halachas of Edom Zoyman, but it is considered disproving the testimony, and we will not act based on that testimony. Meaning, you have A and B testify a certain thing, then C and D say to them, hey, you're Adam Zoman because you weren't present at the time. But they do this not in front of A and B. A and B are in are in are in Eretz Yisrael, and C and D get up in in Besdin in Brooklyn and say this, that it's not technically Adam Zoman, and it doesn't have all the laws of Adam Zoman. That if you go through Makkas, you'll see there are many halachas, but it is disproving the testimony. We're not going to actually use A and B's testimony if they were disproven court. Okay, now the Gemara is now going to talk about how do we prove um, a document is valid. So we've mentioned that one way to do that is the witnesses come forward and say, that's our handwriting. Now, if the witnesses are dead, we said the other way to do it is you have other witnesses who recognize their handwriting. So says the Gemara, Amr Mar, if there are witnesses who testify that this is their handwriting, that's, that's a way. Or, or Bezdin has a document that was signed by these witnesses and that other document so you have document A which is signed by Reuben and Shimon and then Reuben and Shimon die so Bezdin's like yeah but we have document B which was also signed by Reuben and Shimon and the, the signatures sign up it has to be that document B was also certified in court meaning Karlov Document B, how do they know document B is legit? It can't just be that it's on their records. It has to be that document B also went through the process. Document B was authenticated in court by witnesses coming forward. So you have document A was signed by Reuben and Shimon, so they could use document B to authenticate it as long as document B was authenticated in court. Okay? Karlov ir in, loy karlov loy, says the Gemara, it only works if document B was authenticated, meaning, 
having document B on record is not enough. It has to be that document B was also questioned, and they brought in witnesses to prove that it was Reuben and Shimon's handwriting. So the, the, the couple ways to do it is, you have, again, Reuben and Shimon can come in to testify. That's one way. You can have other witnesses testify that it's Reuben and Shimon's handwriting. That's the second way. The third way is you have a document A, which is Reuben and Shimon's handwriting, and it's the same as document B, which was also authenticated in court. So having another document that has the same names is not enough. It has to be another document that was authenticated in court. That's the third method. Now there is a fourth method of authenticating a document. Another way to do it is you have document A, which has Reuben and Shimon's handwriting, if you could procure, if someone can come forward with two other documents, so you meant document B and document C with Reuben and Shimon's handwriting, and they all line up, we'll accept it. Even though those documents were never authenticated in court, but if you have basically a total of three documents with the same names and the same handwriting, then we'll accept it. Says the Gemara, so if you have two other Ksuba documents, or two bills of sale, and those bills of sale were, were used, so the owners stayed there for three years without any protest, so you have two bills of sale, or two ksubas, all with the same names, so those could be used to, to compare to this document. Meaning like this, very simple, it makes a lot of sense. I have the document that says Menasha owes me a thousand dollars, right? And it's signed by Reuben and Shimon. I want to use it to collect money. Reuben and Shimon are dead. So Bezdin sends out a proclamation Hey, anyone who has Reuben and Shimon documents signed by Reuben and Shimon, come forward. As long as they get two that they all line up, we could, we could use it. Says the Gemara, I cannot show up with two more documents. Meaning, I'm the one who has the original document. I can't show up with two more. Why? Because he'll assume I forged all of them. There are people that are forgers. There are people that could, you know, forge documents. So the, the fear is, I'm the one who has the original document. And then Bezin's like, hey, we got to authenticate it. But Reuben and Shimon are dead. So if someone has two other documents signed by Reuben and Shimon that line up, uh, come forward. If I, holding the original document, come forward with two more, it's not good, because we just assume I sat in my basement, I read all three. Okay, makes a lot of sense. Says the Gemara, um, but, meaning, but if someone else brings forward two documents, then it's legit. Says the Gemara, why is it not okay if I, holding the original document, brought, bring two more? Dilma Zayifu Mazayifu, because we assume that I forged all three. But the problem is that even if someone else brings forward two documents, maybe I saw those two documents once, meaning I have this document that says that Menasha owes me $1,000, signed by Reuben and Shimon. Reuben and Shimon are dead. We need two other documents to, 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 to authenticate it. I show up with two other documents, no good, because maybe I forged all three. Brad shows up with two documents, we could use that. Okay. But the Gemara says, but why aren't, why aren't I concerned? Why aren't we concerned that I once went to Brad's house, saw the two documents, memorized the handwriting, and then signed it in my basement? So the Gemara answers, 
Kuli Heinlein Matz Mechavit. That's uh, a little bit too much, too much of a concern. That's so far-fetched that someone would do that, that um, uh, unlikely. Okay. Fine. Weiter. Tan Okay, so this is interesting. From here until basically the end of the daf, the Gemara is going to talk about testimony. And what does a witness do if he doesn't remember fully? Can he be reminded of what he saw? Now, you could have someone who saw something 30 years ago, and he's a witness, but he doesn't fully remember. Says the Gemara, Tan Rabbanon, a person can write down testimony, something that he saw on a piece of paper, and use that piece of paper, read that piece of paper in court many years later. Now, this is specifically talking about a case that the Gemara is going to explain in a moment. It has to be that he still remembers it, meaning, I could write things down, right? I write down that I saw a document, I saw a loan, and I say where, and I say who, and I say how, all that stuff. 20 years later, I'm asked in court to, to, to testify. I could use that paper and read from that paper only, says Rav Huna, if I remembered the overall situation, I just forgot certain details. So I'm allowed to use that paper to fill in the details. But if I completely forgot, and I'm just like, I'm just reading, I don't remember any of this, but okay, this is what it says, then the halach is I can't, I can't rely on it. Because then it's considered not real testimony from my memory, it's testimony from paper, which is not valid. So it has to be that I remembered the gist of what happened. I remembered who the people were. I remembered the amounts. I just maybe forgot certain details, maybe where it was. Certain details in between, I could use that paper to fill it in. I would think, I would think just the opposite. I, I, I would think it, 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 it would be better if it's, uh, if, if it's on paper versus, versus memory. So... 100%. It's, it, it has to do with the fact that there's a sugya in, um, in I think it's in Gittin, that there's a Xeris HaKosiv that says that Eidos has to be done orally. Eidos is technically not allowed if it's written down, meaning, I'll give you an extreme example of this. Let's say a witness doesn't want to go to court. He just wants to write down everything he says and just send it in. Allah is not good. It has to be said orally. So over here, where you're reading from a paper... If you're reading from the paper but you remember, then we consider it an oral testimony. But if you're reading from the paper and you don't remember, while you're saying is correct, it might be more likely that what you're saying is accurate. It's technically, though, a written testimony, which is not acceptable. It's Xeris HaKasa. That, that would be the answer. So the Gemara says, Rav Yochanan Amar, Rav Yochan disagrees. He says he could read a testimony even if you don't remember it. Because what you're doing is just reading what you originally said. It's still considered an oral testimony. He doesn't consider it a written testimony. He considers a written testimony when you don't show up to court. But if you write it down, even though you don't remember anything, but you write, you get up and you say, this is what I wrote 10 years ago, and you read everything, that's considered an oral testimony. Rabbi Yochanan accepts it. Amar Abba, Rabbi says, you, you, you could learn from Rabbi Yochanan, that according to Rabbi Yochanan, if you have two witnesses who saw a certain thing, and one of them forgot what happened, the other one could remind him. Meaning, if you're able to read what you wrote from 10 years ago, even though you don't remember it, so if you see, if you see, if A and B see a, see a murder, or whatever it is, and then A forgot, B could remind A what happened. He feels that, that Rav Yochanan would be comfortable with that. 
Just because, just the same way you're able to read and remind yourself from what's written, you could be reminded from the other, from the other, uh, from the other aid. I guess the cheshbon is because eventually, when you're reading it or when you're being told, you'll remember, you'll recall. Now, says the Gemara. Yeah, Rashi says, by the way, Rashi points out that Rav Yechanan is only comfortable by reading an entire testimony when you forgot it, if after reading it, you reminded yourself of it. If after reading it, you say, oh, I remember that, then Rav Yechanan is okay with it. But says Rashi, if after reading it, you're still like, I have no idea. That's what it says, I don't remember it at all, then it's not okay. So says the Gemara that according to Rav Yochanan, as long as you're reminded at the end, even though you're reading a paper and you forgot at the time, that's acceptable, so too it is. If one of the witnesses reminds you, that's also acceptable. Here's the question. Can one of the litigants remind you? Can the you know the defendant or the prosecutor, can one of them remind you? So Rav Chaviva, he says yes. He says no, the litigant cannot remind. That's considered, I guess, tampering with the testimony. And therefore it is not acceptable. Meaning, meaning, if the if the one witness one witness sees it and he completely forgets it, and the prosecutor, the one who or the defendant's like, you don't remember this and this is what happened, he can't testify based on that, even if it reminded him of it because we're afraid that that conversation tainted his memory. Says the Gemara, the and that is the halacha. You cannot testify based on the litigant's uh, testimony. Go to the next page. The However, if that if the witness is a rabbi, meaning. He's a chashaviyid, then it's acceptable, even by the litigant, because we assume that the, the, if the litigant reminded him, he would not testify unless he legitimately remembered everything. Because a, a, a rav is not going to testify falsely. The story goes that Ravashi wants new testimony related to Rav Kahana. So Rav Kahana was, let's say, the defendant, and Ravashi was the witness, but Ravashi forgot it. Do you remember what happened? He says, no, I forgot. So Kahana, the litigant, reminded him. He says, but wasn't it this and this and this? Ravashi says, I don't remember. At the end, Ravashi remembered, and he testified. So this is an example of him testifying based on the litigant reminding him, which we said is not acceptable, unless he's a Tamachacham. So he saw that Rav Kahana was, like, shocked that Ravashi would testify. So Ravashi said, He says, I'm not relying on you reminding me. I reminded myself, meaning a Rav is not going to just rely on what the litigant tells him, because the litigant can be tainted. So rather, he reminded himself, and only when he feels comfortable did he testify. Okay, now that we mentioned memory, we're going to now mention a long brisa that is really not related to anything that gets us to the next Mishnah. The brisa is dealing with the following cases. Um, a lot of times, in the times of the Gemara, they would bury people outside of cemeteries. They would just bury along the road. Now, that makes problems, because that means that a lot of areas are now questionable for Tumah. So this is the rule. Tanan Hasam. The Mishnah says in Oyelus, Hatuluyos, mounds. People would bury their dead under large, like, um, 
like speed bumps level mounds in the ground. The cheshman was, people don't comfortably walk over the mounds anyway, so that would be a good place to bury the dead. So that the question is, does that mean every mound that you see, it might be a suffix tumma? Again, this is all related because the Gemara is going to eventually point out that memory lasts like 60 years or something. So the Gemara says, Hatzalulais hakvurais. Mounds that are near hakruvais bein le'ir bein le'derech. If you have a mound that's near a city or near um, a road. Echer chadashais, echer yishanais. Whether new ones or old ones, new mounds or old mounds, temeis there are tame. Okay? Because we assume they might be dead, buried under there. Now the Gemara in a few lines is going to ask a question. Like, does that mean, so you're just basically saying every mound everywhere might have a dead body? Since when do we, like, since when do, what, what, what's making you assume this? Like, like it's like, why is it even a suffolk? It's like, why do you assume there's a dead body there? It's like, oh, a mound might have a dead body. But like, what's making you think that? It's like, what, like, what started the Shiloh? Then the Brisa says, Harachaikis, but mounds that are far away from the town or the road, and we'll define far away in a moment. Chadashis Taharis, if they're new, they're Tahar, because new mounds, um, people would remember if they buried dead body in. But Yeshenos, but once they're old and people forget, it's too far, their memories don't go back, then it's Tame, then people might have buried the dead under there. So if they're close to the city or close to the town, we assume dead bodies regardless of the age. But if it's far away, then if they're old, then people don't remember. That's why it's brought in because the memory, how far is memory? Ezukreva, what, what's considered near to the town or the road that it's automatically Tameh? Chamishamama, 50 Amas. Any mound within 50 Amas to a city or a road is Tameh. how what's considered old that people forgot? Shishim Shan is 60 years, meaning any any mound that's more than 60 years old, so if it goes back 60 years, people don't remember going back 60 years. He says, no, near is Krevish and Krevimeru. Near is not 50 Amis, it means the nearest to the town or to the road, the nearest mound. Meaning, if you have within 50 Amis three mounds, the Tanakhama says they're all Tameh because they all have dead bodies under there. Yehuda says, no, it's the nearest one. Yushanish in and old means that no one remembers it. No one remembers the origin of how the mound uh, got into being. Now, my iru my derech. Now, we said that all mounds near a road or near a city are tame. Ilam ir ir mamish derech derech mamish, mesveka mimachzin and tumma hamrish lakish, ilam matsutaru eretz yisrael. The question is, I don't understand. You're telling me that you have a city, yeah? So, Kugarn Hills, you have Kugarn Hills, a city. Or you have a road, you have a highway. There's a mound right near the highway, right near the road. Tommy. Why? Because maybe it's a dead body. Well, why do you assume there's a dead body there? Like, where are you coming from? You have to know that it's a possibility. Why are you even assuming this? Because of a doubt, you make everything Tommy. The answer is, The answer is, it's not a road or a town. It's not just a mound near a road or a town. It's a mound near a road that's adjacent to a cemetery, or a mound near a city that's adjacent to a cemetery. So it's not just a road or a town, it's a road or a town that are near cemeteries. So the cheshben is that because it's near a cemetery, then people might have buried and not gone into the cemetery, just buried in a mound near the cemetery. Now, here's the question. The Gemara says, Bishlam aderech beisakvaris. Now, so here's the question. So you're telling me a road. So you have a cemetery and a road and then a mound. So we said the mound is Tameh. I get it. Why? 
Bishlam Ederich Besakvaris, Zimnis Rami Ben Ashmashes, Umikrikovr Betal. Why would someone not go into the cemetery and bury by the mound? The case is, it's Friday right before Shabbos. They don't have time to get to the cemetery before Shabbos. So they quickly just like, listen, we're near the cemetery. It's a road. You have a, a mound and a road and a cemetery. We can't get to the cemetery. It's it's going to be too, it'll be Shabbos by then. Let's just bury it under the mound. It's close enough. We're fine. That's a possibility. I get it. But if you have a, a city that's near a cemetery and you're telling me that, see a road, people traveling. So you go, okay, so they're traveling. It's right before Shabbos. They couldn't get to the cemetery, so they buried under the mound. That makes sense. But if you're telling me that the city, so all cities that are near cemeteries, the mounds in the cities are tummy. Why? Because they buried under the mounds. Why wouldn't they just go to the cemetery? Meaning, why are people going to mounds near the cemetery? Why wouldn't they just go into the cemetery? So the answer is, The answer is, women would bury their fetuses there. And they would be embarrassed. They'd rather do it privately. So sometimes, they wouldn't feel comfortable going into a cemetery because it was dangerous. So they would just bury near, uh, they would just bury in a mound. And why 50 Amis? So we said within 50 Amis of the city, it's considered Tomei. More than 50 Amis, not. Why? Up to 50 Amis from the town limits, a woman will go by herself and bury the fetus. More than 50 Amis, more than 50 Amis away, they won't travel on their own because it was dangerous. They would have to bring someone anyway. Once they bring someone anyway, they'll just go to the cemetery. That's why 50 Amis is the marker. Now we said... If you have a mound that's older, it's Tomei, because you don't remember the origin of it. You don't remember if someone's buried there. What's considered older? 60 years. You learn that from a mayor. Regarding testimony, people will only remember up to 60 years. Because it said, after 60 years, you don't remember what happened under the mound. You don't remember if someone's buried there. So that tells you that memory lasts 60 years. So to, when it comes to testimony, if they're testifying about something that took place more than 60 years ago, you don't believe them. Because 60 years is the max. Says the Gemara, no. It's not true. The answer is no. When it comes to the mound, it's not my responsibility to remember what happened under the mound. 60 years, I'll remember. More than that, I won't remember. Testimony, which is my responsibility because I'm a witness, I will remember even more than 60 years later. I'll make sure that I remind myself and make sure to remember. Therefore, there is no limit when it comes to age. All right, let's do the Mishnah and then we'll stop. The Mishnah is talking about certifying documents. The Mishnah says like this. The Mishnah says, the Mishnah says like this. What, what's a, a form of authenticating documents? You have Reuven and Shimon inside the document, then, Shem, uh, then Yehu, uh, Reuven and Shimon, Levi and Yehuda are coming to testify that it's their handwriting. Or Reuven and Shimon are coming to testify that it's their handwriting. So let's go with a simple case. Reuven and Shimon inside the document, then Reuven and Shimon are coming to authenticate it. So how, what, what's the case? The way to do it is, Reuven and Shimon sign the document, Reuven comes forward and says, that's my handwriting, and that's Shimon's handwriting. And then Shimon comes forward and he says, that's my handwriting and that's Reuven's handwriting. So each one is testifying about both. So each signature has two Adam on it. That's good. But, Let's say Reuven comes forward and says, listen, I don't know about Shimon's handwriting. I know that's mine. And then Shimon comes forward and he's like, listen, I don't know about Reuven's handwriting. I know that's mine. So each one, so each signature just has one witness. 
Says Rebbe, that's not good enough. You need to bring someone else who could testify about the other witness. Meaning each signature has to have two witnesses testifying about it. But the Chum disagree. They say, no. They say, no. All you need is for the two witnesses. If Reuven says that's his handwriting and Shimon says that's his handwriting, that's enough. You don't need to bring an additional witness. And we'll stop here and we'll pick it up uh, tomorrow. Recording stopped.